0: Welcome to a special edition of Nipe Story. We're a fortnightly podcast that brings you audio versions of short story fiction from Kenya and across the continent. I'm your host, Kevin Machiro. We're doing something different with this and the next episode. We'll be featuring reflections of the COVID-19 pandemic from writers, creatives and thinkers... And we've titled this series, Tis a Season. We'll start off with Alea Kasim's piece titled,
1: Grief. Here and now, I wish to hold space for your grief. To offer a few moments for you to be with your grief in whatever way you need. And so I offer you meditations on mine. April 22nd, 2020. Because we have to survive one bill at a time and support those around us, I tell my terror to find a corner near the ceiling to curl up and my anxiety to slither into the floorboards and stay out of sight. But my grief, I let it stay. May 17th, 2020. And now this. Grief everywhere. Grief for what we can name, for what we don't have names for, for what resists being named. Grief that arrives in WhatsApp funeral announcements, entreating us to stay at home and offer prayers for the families from where we are. Grief like the smell of 60% alcohol under our fingernails, or the carpet of rubble where a pink and blue checkered blanket lays abandoned. The woman who owns that blanket also left behind a neon green bata slipper when they came for her home. Grief with no recovery. Grief for what we've lost and what we will lose. Grief at 4.30am when the rat Kirani bloom insisting on perfuming the air. Grief that clings to the world like the purple stained gauze stuck on a scab. Grief that hides in the raging, filthy rain-swollen river at night, or boils like stones in water over a scalding jiko. Grief that drains, that cracks, that extracts. Grief that can't be shared or soothed with a hug. Grief. And now this. How do we care for each other now? May 19th, 2020. Satawa Namwaliye wrote, So, I tucked my tears behind my ears, the way you do your hair, and I held them there. I've been wondering where to put my grief. How do we process our griefs when they refuse to stand in line? July 28th, 2020, beauty came in strange forms, a virtual anniversary, a virtual wedding, a virtual funeral, sharing celebration, sharing love, sharing grief, a reminder that life is everything all at once, all the time. July 11th, 2020, grief is thick in the air july twenty fifth, twenty twenty I'm not going to battle sleeplessness today. So I listen to podcasts about grief as I twist wires into shapes that I don't yet recognize. August eleventh, twenty twenty a blur in between thick, heavy grief there are pockets of breath. In those pockets are relief. Anyway, grief is no longer unfamiliar. August 18th, 2020. It's been 157 days of Corona in Kenya. It's been 157 days since Raju held his great grandson, my beloved Mitu, in his arms. At 94 years old, who knows if he ever will again. In that 157 days, he's lost his daughter. The grief lingers, but still, we search for joy where we can. November 20th, 2020. Raju has been released from this world. For that I am grateful, but the grief is deep and it howls. December 9th, 2020. If you don't make time for your grief, it'll pop out in sobs at the supermarket when you're trying to buy milk. December 20th, 2020. It's Jambura season. Remember how much Raju loved, loved, loved Jambaras? He'd lovingly spread them out on a senior so that he could sprinkle a little salt on them and let them sit, then pick out the plumpest, juiciest ones for us. Stop. Stop. Let the 40 days pass, then you can sink into grief. January twenty eighth, 2020. I can locate the precise crack in my heart where the loss of Raju lives. I can even tell you what that grief sounds like inside my body. March 21st, 2021. Navroz. I didn't paint eggs today. It was easier last year. Last year, we didn't know yet. This year, the spirit is exhausted. Grief overflows. The sun has set, as it does. It will rise tomorrow. March 24th, 2021. So here we are. One year later from when we first acknowledged COVID in Kenya. Now the body recognizes this feeling as familiar. Yet grief overflows. We are physically exhausted, mentally drained, Our spirits weary, our muscles tense. When did you last exhale, beloved? March 26th, 2021. What do we do with all this grief? Where do we put it? What does it overflow into? How does it get stored? What does it touch? What does it change? What does it replace? I'm not numb. I just don't know what to do with all this grief.
0: Here on the continent, South Africa has been severely hit by the pandemic and for Hugo Cakenham, Each daybreak now has left him musing more than ever before.
2: Mornings have always been shrouded in mourning. Since I was a child, I have deferred awakening from sleep. Mornings are my least favourite time. When I was a child, my father's death was whispered in the night. My grandmother turned and tossed in the bed across the room, wondering how she would tell me something I had already heard. I eventually fell asleep. Sleep tricks you into forgetting. But morning came and I had to confront my family's mourning and my own loss. I have always relished sleep. I sleep well and I sleep deep. It was a reprieve from school, angst, loathing and the total control that adults at my boarding school practice over our lives. In my sleep, I could dream of home. There is beauty in sleep. If you do not sleep in your back, nightmares and terrors stay away. When I slept on my side, the world was whole and the dead were alive. But morning would come with its reminders of failure, deadlines and fear. I'd shut my eyes and drift away until a bell rang or someone would strip the blankets off my bed. And then the terror of day. When the pandemic began to lick at our cities and villages like a wildfire, waking up came with a sharp reality of mortality. In South Africa, we go to sleep with a daily update on the death toll of the day and numbers of those infected. In May 2021, we live in dread of the third wave poised above us when engulfed in the waves that buffet us. News media are awash with death. Oxygen falling rapidly, chests heaving, lonely deaths, cold funerals shrouded in fears of contagion. We awakened with the sinking feeling that those we love will be next. In October last year, I awakened to a text message with my own COVID positive result. I too would be counted among the infected in the evening news. While it did not feel quite like a death announcement, I came face to face with my own mortality. In the moments of quiet, I listened to my body. Taste and smell became precious after a lifetime of being taken for granted. The dull feeling at the back of my head was a regular accompaniment. The work emails were incessant. Eventually, I had to tell some people so that I could take time to listen to myself. If this was to be my last week of life, I'd rather slow it down than speed it up with online meetings and emails. The most important calculation was whether or not to tell my mother. Telling her would heighten levels of anxiety that were already through the roof. Sleep would elude her, like she does with most stressful experiences. Morning would begin before it was warranted. I decided to hold back on telling her even when she quizzed me about the COVID-19 induced changes in my voice. Later, when I was deep into my recovery, I told her. But before this, I lay in bed longer in the mornings. I studied the ceiling and watched as the light grew brighter at the window. I watched the creeper grow leaf by leaf on the parameter wall in the disorienting spring of 2020. My fingers walked through the bookshelf and I pulled out three novels I had been planning to read forever. For the first time in close to a decade, I read fiction without guilt and I reconnected to a younger self that once lived with my nose buried in novels. But life happens in pandemics. Racist police and racist states bequeath Black Lives Matter and the Palestinian bombardment. Callous governments gave us SARS in Nigeria. Colombia reached its limits. And Museveni brazenly grabbed yet another election. While we looked at COVID-19, life-giving AIDS medications ran out in Kenya. Amid our mourning, violence continues to take its toll. Job losses render us mute and shatter what illusions of hope we had. We are battered by life even as we confront viral death. We mourn in the quiet waking hours, but we must arise to face the terror of the day. To weep, And to resist Palestinian warriors teach us a salutary lesson on facing the day after burying their children to fight even as the very earth beneath them gives way what possibility emits from the debris of struggle and devastation mornings intimidate me less now but they come with the reminders of adulthood We who have lived long enough to see the widening of the crack in the wall have to comfort a world of mourning. Our private losses, collective grief and our fears push against our dreams. I am quarantined in my anguish and my anxiety gives form to my waking hours. Hope is a pipe dream but I suck on it like an empty oxygen tank. Despair spreads with the tenacity of a viral plague. But miraculously, children are born and their seasons push on, compelling us to move on in our morning. More than a year into the pandemic, I live between the bliss of sleep and the morning of wakefulness. I dare not hope. But what is that pink smudge on the horizon that catches my heart unbidden? Is that a bird that sings in the stillness of the pandemic? <music>
0: Mournful Mourning by Hugo Cackenham was read by Matuba Matlache. Musonda Mumba was ushered into this season while on the island of Zanzibar, and in no time, her life and that of her children took a new turn. Musonda's titled her piece, How Beginnings and Ends Collide, the Trauma of a Pandemic.
3: On the 8th of March 2020, I woke up on the shores of the Indian Ocean in Zanzibar, to the most spectacular sunrise. I'm a sucker for sunrises and sunsets. This one was special and different on many accounts. It was International Women's Day and I was celebrating my womanhood alone. I had decided to take a solo trip to Zanzibar, an island I had never visited. This was the day I was also flying back to Nairobi to rejoin my two bambinos, whom I had left in the care of a sister friend. A pandemic in the making, they said. I sat in a crowded lobby at Zanzibar Airport, filled with Russian holiday makers. Sanitizer! I hear one of the officers instruct another. Was this the beginning of something? I wondered. Within days of my arrival from paradise, life began to change. I don't own a TV. And as such, any news clips come from Twitter. Flattening the curve is necessary, some said. This will end by summer, another announced. Whose summer, I wondered. Lockdowns were suddenly announced, making everyone dizzy as normalcy started to seem like a long-ago thing. Shell-shocked government started to announce closures of schools and public spaces. It's getting bad in Europe and the numbers are out of control, some dramatic headline that turned into a nightmare. We don't know much about this virus, another news reader announced. I hugged my children harder. My mind spiraling out of control. I wondered what this meant for life as we knew it. My brain didn't wander long. Our workspace was closed off with instructions for all UN staff to collect laptops, all necessary documents and work from home. Like an exodus of sorts, people jumped onto flights to head to their home countries. Africa will be worse hit, more dramatic headlines. My children embraced this new normal, not quite knowing where the boundaries lay. Mama is at home. But she's also at work. But also our mama and the teacher. Fatigue kicked in on my part. Frustrated with online schooling, my voice, temple and temper shifted. Mama, just listen to what the teacher says we should do. My daughter implored me. But what does this math work even mean? I barked, not waiting for a response. I stormed off to make another cup of coffee, desperately trying to stay awake. I informed my office that my work hours would change due to homeschooling. Mama, do you know when the pandemic will end? My six-year-old son asked a few weeks ago. While lying on his back on the carpet in my home office, fiddling with his toy car, he too was listening in to my work webinar. I don't know. I whispered, the blurry line between parenting and working at the same time. Speaker on webinar. Over this last year, we have seen how climate change and this pandemic have caused such trauma within Indigenous communities. Trails off. My son. Mama, what is the color of trauma? Asking rather nonchalantly. I stare at him, shocked. I have no answer. Silent, I continue staring back into the screen.
0: Our last reflection is by digital storyteller, writer, researcher and upcoming historian, Natalie Sifuma.
4: It seemed like just some days before I could move around freely like I wasn't suddenly caught in a situation where I was fighting something I could not see. Just two months prior to the first COVID-19 case in Kenya, I had watched as my uncles lowered the casket that held my father's body. I remember thinking, this has happened to me and my family. We are the deceased's family. But I also remember the feeling of relief because we had worked towards and achieved giving dad a proper send-off. I can't really describe how the rest of January went, or February. There were highs and lows, but my life seemed like it was mostly in order. When March came, and withered the start of a new season in Kenya, I was barely ready. Honestly, I don't think anyone was. I do remember the panic that set in. In one of the WhatsApp groups I'm in, there was a steady conversation around toilet paper being an essential item and that we should all make sure we are properly stocked. Looking back now, I can see that it didn't make sense and that fake news is very smooth, allowing it to flow easily through the cracks of ignorance. I got more understanding from a brief team meeting we had on one of the last days my colleagues and I were in the office together. The week or so past had been an exciting one for all of us. We had together developed the company strategy for 2020 and we were all eager to achieve our deliverables and hadn't considered the possibility that a pandemic would soon sweep in and reshuffle our plans. There is that saying, man plans but God decides. We had to re-strategize our working conditions and ultimately our safety plan. What I appreciated about the meeting was that by the end of it, I wasn't as panicked. Though this was short-lived, because a day or so after, we started hearing the daily 3pm announcements by the Ministry of Health. News of the first COVID case in Kenya spread like wildfire. And there were questions and comments that followed. hung out on my Twitter timeline in no particular order. Why hasn't the President closed the borders? What does COVID in Kenya mean for our economy? We're already suffering as it is. Where can I get ample amounts of sanitizer and toilet paper? Here's one thing that became clear again at the time. The Kenyan government officials had little concern for Kenyans. A country and county lockdown soon followed as the cases increased, yet the government didn't improve water supply in low-income areas, nor did they take quick action in ensuring health workers' safety. But there's something I appreciate about Kenyans, and that's our enough-is-enough attitude. In a matter of weeks, various Kenyans and Kenyan-led initiatives did the work Gava was supposed to do. On one hand, it was infuriating to think that elected members were sitting comfortably in their homes, while ordinary Kenyans did their work. But on the other hand, I was encouraged by the selflessness displayed by these Kenyan heroes. Some distributed masks and set up hand-washing stations in informal settlements. Others distributed dry foods to families in need. And others, in addition to this, took time to simplify the information on COVID-19 and the safety measures. It was a time to witness Kenyans showing up for Kenyans. One of our spontaneous work plans was to highlight these Kenyans their initiatives, and how they decided to do the work they were actively doing. From the feeding programs to distribution of well-being and sanitary supplies, the ripples of positivity made the pandemic a little more bearable. The daily news of different people succumbing to the virus still feels like a dagger in flesh. To think that burials are now quick events rather than those of closure makes me understand that I was fortunate to be able to say a proper goodbye to my father surrounded by family and so many friends. It gave me the strength I didn't know I needed to get through 2020.
0: Thoughts on the Pandemic by Natalie Sifuma brings us to the end of the first of two episodes titled Tis a Season. You can contact me if you have any reflections on what you've had by dropping me an email. My address is kevin at fingerpiano.co.ke special thanks to our contributors and here's a brief about each of them alea kasim is a kenyan reader writer storyteller performer and feminist musonda mumba is an avid painter artist but is also doing her bit for the earth through her work at the undp as the director of the rome center for development Hugo Kakenham is a Johannesburg-based writer and associate professor at the University of Witwatersrand, and is currently completing a book on the Mpondoland Wild Coast. And Natalie Sifuma's work can be found in Debunk Media, Kalahari Review, Omena, and the 2020 Anthology of the Nairobi Writing Anthology. Thank you all. Other episodes of Nipe Story are available to enjoy wherever you get your podcast from. Hit the follow or like buttons and share this podcast with others. Follow us here on SoundCloud. On Facebook, we are Nipe Story. And on Twitter, our handle is Nipe underscore Story. Nipe Story is a Finger Piano production.